0: anyone seen it no I'm not sure it's worth it to be honest you get 45 minutes in and it all goes a bit odd and we turned it off but I love Up until that point, Ludwig is a safe cracker and he's been practicing in his his bedroom and he's put YouTube videos up and nobody watches them about his safe cracking and eventually gets invited to a competition and he goes through all the first rounds of the competition and they all think he's a bit slow, he's not that great, he takes a long time to crack the safes until the last bit when he suddenly realizes or not realizes, he reveals what his actual skills are, what his actual abilities are and he blows everyone else out of the water. And I wonder if you can think of times when you've heard of kind of those game changer moments. I remember when Tiger Woods kind of first beat everyone by a mile and we all went, oh, so that's the benchmark. And you might know of other times when you've kind of heard of people who do things and you suddenly think that is a game changer. That's radically different to what came before. We're thinking today about Luke 7, and we're thinking about, I think, one of those moments in the Gospels where Jesus does something that blows all their ideas out the water. They think they've got pegged who he is, and then he does something, and they go, oh, so that's who you are. That's what you're about. If we can have the slides up, please, that would be great. So, so far in Luke's Gospel, these are some of the kind of boxes that they might have put him in. And I just want to say, they are good boxes. And they're not wrong about any of these. So people would have said, he's a prophet. In other words, he's a messenger. He's someone who says, this is what God says about these situations. Prophets in the Old Testament also did miracles. And they were fairly rare in their miracles, but they did. So you've had the rain stopped. You've had one, two accounts of people raised from the dead, as the prophets kind of really asked God for it to happen. But that's kind of prophets. And so some of the people thought he was a prophet. Then you've got the next one, which was a teacher. And so many people said, well, he's a teacher. And you might remember to about three, four weeks ago, when we looked at Jesus in the temple as a a 12-year-old, and that he taught, and the people were amazed by his authority. So he was a teacher. But what was he more than that? If you have got a Bible, could you turn to Luke 7? If you don't have one, there's one just in front of you. And we are starting at verse 18, but if you look just before that, it's one of my favourite miracles that Jesus does. I love this. He walks into Nain. I don't know if you can find that bit. It's in chapter 7. And he comes across a funeral, and this is kind of probably a bit like what it would have looked like. So they didn't have closed top caskets. They would have had the body there of the person whose funeral it was would have been carried. And Jesus sees it, and nobody says to him, can you do something about that? That's interesting, isn't it? That nobody perhaps thought that he would or should or could do anything about that. But Jesus spots... The man's mum, realises it's the only son and has compassion on her. He goes up to the coffin. Can you imagine approaching the funeral procession and going up to the coffin? And he says, young man, arise. At which point I would have probably dropped the coffin if I'd been one of the carriers. Can you imagine the scene? Young man, arise. And the guy just gets up out of his coffin. Amazing, isn't it? And he just blows all their ideas out the water. You thought I was a teacher, you thought I was a prophet, but look. (laughs) And it says that fear sees them. Notice it wasn't joy sees them, a little bit of a party sees them, but fear sees them. That's interesting. That they grasp perhaps something different about Jesus. This is not someone who fits in our existing boxes. There is more to this person. And some of them say, a great prophet has risen among us. Well, we can sort of see why they might have got that. Elijah raised the dead in the Old Testament, but he did it only by petitioning and praying God. Jesus seems to do it that much more easily. But other people said, God has visited his people. That was their conclusion. I wonder why they said that. I was reflecting on this during the week and thinking, why would raising the dead make me say, God is here, this is God? And I think when you look in the Old Testament, it's because all the way through, God is the one who gives life. Right from the beginning in Genesis, God breathes life, breath, spirit, soul. He breathes into humans and they have something in them that nobody else does. And so when Jesus breathes into this man, he breathes breath, he breathes, it gives him life again. Their obvious conclusion, well, this must be God. It is, though, not an easy one to grapple with. If we could have the next slide up, please. Because in the Old Testament, we've got some really clear pictures. Now, I remember when I was growing up and the police would release an e-fit. Did anyone ever look at one of those and think, oh, that might be me? (laughs) Not literally me. But like you look at it and you think, oh, that could be anybody. That's so sketchy, that picture. I'm really not sure about it. And even today, I look at them sometimes and I think, "Mm, uh, yeah. But in the Old Testament, we have the really clear pictures. First of all, of the Messiah. And these words are the same. The Messiah, the rescuer, the saviour, it's all the same. That there would be this person who would come and rescue humanity. This person who would be a game changer, sent from God. Sent to usher in the start of the world changing so, and then eventually coming back again to restore it completely. Then we've got one more, which is God Himself. And again, there's a really clear picture in the Old Testament who God was. One of the difficulties people had was Jesus is both. How do we grasp the fact we've got these two descriptions? How do we start to read these two together? And that was part of the difficulty people had with Jesus in these passages. If you went home after church tonight, and, this morning, and you did a little Google, and you looked for the words fear or afraid in the Gospels, you'd be amazed how many times they come up. Because Jesus didn't fit comfortably into boxes, and so they were like, oh, I wonder who you are. Just maybe have a little chat to the person next to you. Can you think of anything that Jesus did that people responded with fear or afraid or those sort of words? If your neighbour doesn't know, don't worry, but have a little chat to them. See if they know. Is there anything that you can think of? Right. Now the easy bit is when the crowds were afraid because they were afraid more often because they didn't get it more often. The disciples afraid less often because they got it a bit more. Uh, any examples? Good. So when Jesus got out, sorry, got out on the water. Which bit you mean? When he walked on the water, and they were like, "Oh, it might be a ghost. What could it be? Oh, it's Jesus." And they were they were terrified. Yeah. Good. Any more? He calmed the storm, and they say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And they're more afraid after he calmed the storm than before it, because they're like, who on earth is this person we've got in the boat with us? Great. There's probably three more. Good. And he sent the evil spirit into the pigs, and they ran out. Some of you are patting yourselves on the back. I got that one too brilliant and so he cast it into the pigs and, it, and, and the demons went away and again they were fearful they were like who is this person anymore good and that sort of made them because it was rocking again with some of their expectations there's lots of times in the gospels where Jesus breaks out of what they thought he was going to be like and one of their reactions is fear the last one I get that isn't Quite as explicit was the transfiguration, where he goes up on the mountain with his sort of inner circle of disciples. And he lets them see his glory, like who he really was. And again, they're like, what on earth are we going to do here? Who is this person? I wonder just in the last few weeks, when has Jesus done that with you? When have you been really surprised and gone, oh, that is not how I thought you worked or talked That is not what I thought you'd be doing. Perhaps he spoke to you through somebody else. I wonder when he surprised us just in the last few weeks. Now, when we've been doing Exploring Faith, this course during the week, one of the things we've always said is there are no silly questions. But I think John asks a ridiculous question in this chapter. Did you notice that? That John the Baptist, of all people, comes to Jesus or sends his followers and says, should we expect somebody else? Or is it you? Now, I'm sure you could do the same as me and think, well, this is what I would have said if I was Jesus. How did you not notice when your mum talked to my mum and you heard what was going on in this for three months? How did you not ever pick up any of that stuff that I was somebody special How did you not remember the baptism when the heavens opened and the voice said, this is my son in whom I'm pleased? How did you not pick up that? Or when I did all these miracles, how did you not notice any of that stuff? And I find that quite comforting because Jesus is very kind, isn't he? He kind of puts up with the fact that people took a while to understand. The only people that you can see in the Bible that he gets really irritated with are those who oppose him. And actually, it's not a lack of understanding, it's an opposition to him. But I find that really comforting that for each and every one of us, if we've got questions and doubts and things that we don't get, that Jesus is patient with us. Now, we could have turned around to those disciples from John and said, well, have you heard the stories? Just go back and tell them the stories and that'll be fine. But notice that he doesn't. In my translation, it said he asked them to stay around for an hour for a short amount of time and said, and basically, I'm going to show you some stuff. Notice in a lot of the translations in the church Bibles what you have seen and heard. So his disciples got to see it. John's disciples got to see. And during that hour or during that time, they got to see diseases healed him get rid of plagues, him casting out spirits, him bestowing sight on people. Can you imagine how amazing Jesus' trust in God was that he could say, stick around, see what I'm going to do, and then go back again? I would love it if even in the next half an hour or so that God did some amazing things among us. Some miracles, some healings, some, you know, opening our eyes to know who he is more more. Notice towards the end of what Jesus says to his disciples, he quotes Isaiah when he's saying about the poor, justice for the poor, what his mission and his role are. And the kind of quotation comes from like a two-chapter bit, starting in Isaiah 60. So Isaiah 60, Your sun will never set again, your moon will wane no more, the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end Then all your people will be righteous and possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands, for the display of my splendor. Go back just a sec. Just in Isaiah 60, where do you see almost the same as the top quote? You could really give yourself a pat on the back if you know this. Anyone know where you see the same sort of idea that we don't need the sun anymore? For the Lord himself will be their light. In Revelation, right? So right at the end of the Bible... So what Jesus is doing in the middle of this, he's sort of helping us to understand that he is not just giving signs for himself, but he's saying, actually, this is where the story is going. So when he quotes Isaiah 61, this is the bit that comes just before. And then, sorry, next slide, Isaiah 61. And it talks about the year of the Lord's favour, freedom for the captives, justice for the poor, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a day clothed in salvation, robes of righteousness, that righteousness and praise will spring up from the nations. Jesus is kind of foreseeing and saying, I've kicked it off, but this is what the kingdom looks like. And perhaps as you look at that, you might, like me, have been thinking about the prodigal son. When he's had the robe put on him, he's gone and made a pig's ear of it, but then he comes back and the robe is put on him because we are loved and valued children of our Father in heaven. And this is the end of the story. This is what's being Jesus is sort of tapping into here. Jesus' final words, though, if you look again at the passage, are really odd to John's disciples. I would have said, have a nice day. Hope you've enjoyed seeing the miracles. Go back and tell John it's true. That's what I would have said. But notice what Jesus actually says. He said, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I wonder why they would have stumbled. Why would he even need to say that? And I wonder if it comes down to Jesus was not as they expected. Did he look like they thought he would look? Did he behave as they thought he would, he would behave? I wonder if Jesus was perhaps even a bit more fun than they thought, but also perhaps a bit more disruptive, a bit more knocking the kind of order of things out of place. John the Baptist realised that he had to become less for Jesus to become more. Perhaps that's some of what this is about, this stumbling, this needing to accept Jesus and to do that humbly. Jesus is amazing, we know that. We know that these kind of four different titles for him help us, prophet, teacher, God and Messiah. He was always breaking out of the boxes and saying, don't, just think I'm this, actually understand who I fully am, that I am God, come to save you, come to die for you, come to rescue you. But I just wondered for a few moments if we could consider some other boxes. If I asked your work colleagues or the people who know you during the week, and I said, what box would you put them in? What do you think it would have on the outside Would it be just the one who doesn't say, oh, my God, all the time? <laughs> maybe. Would it be the one who doesn't get drunk when you go out for office parties? Hopefully. Some of you are giving each other looks like you're <laughs> that wouldn't be on your box. In which case, maybe sort that out. Um, but what would be on the box? I think for a lot of the places that I've worked and been, it would be a good person with some integrity <laughs> works quite hard. I think that would be on the box. I'd like to think it would be on the box. But I wonder, how do we kind of go, well, I don't fit in that. There's things about me that are are more than that. 2 Corinthians 4, a very famous passage that we have treasure in jars of clay. How do we go beyond the nice person box and actually go, there's something else that's in us. However nice the clay is, and some of you might have looked in the morning and said, I admire the clay (laughs) when you've looked in the mirror. But there's more than that, isn't there? How do we get outside of that and say, there is more that I'm here to kind of share and to bring to you? I was talking to someone this week, and they said the way that they did it is to pray. They would be nice, great. They would be kind and caring, but then they'd offer to pray. Or they'd say, do you know, in the situation that you're in, if I was in that, I would talk to God about that. Things to help us to kind of get outside of the just being good box. There's lots that's wonderful about being good and God calls us to love our neighbours. But he also calls us to be more. My most hated quote in all of the world is that one which says something about how um, uh, share the gospel and sometimes use words. I can't stand it. Because we should do good, but also I've never ever met anyone who went, do you know, I came to faith because someone shared me a cup of tea, and I guessed that it was Jesus. <laughs> that just doesn't happen, does it? We do good, and we share. I wonder what's the thing that we're kind of working on to get outside of those boxes for the moment. But I also wondered about our church. What would they write on the outside of our church box? Perhaps they'd write that our church do good. Perhaps they'd write that, I don't know, some churches, they might write, and I hate this, they might write boring or irrelevant or whatever. Yeah? I I would kick against that and say we don't want to be that. But what else, how do we get beyond good? We, as churches across the UK, supply more toddler groups than anybody else. If you went into a toddler group nearly anywhere in the UK, odds are a church runs it. If you went into a food bank, probably odds are a church runs that too, or at least hosts it. And a lot of social action projects are exactly the same. Now, we want to be more involved in those things, but we also want to say we're about more than that. We're more than good. We bring to you this news that will change your life. Jesus kicked against boxes he was continually breaking out of them and saying I am more and we want to do the same and our church wants to do the same I wonder what then the road looks like ahead for us I wonder what God wants to do through each and every one of us but it begins by that being amazed at who Jesus is being surprised by him seeing him do more than we expected that he would do We're going to spend a little bit of time in prayer now and if during that you've got something that you feel God's saying to us could you come up and tell Rob and then we'll see about sharing some of those. So let's just take a little bit of time in quiet and ask God to speak to us.